0: Republican Act of Betrayal coming up next on One Nation. (music) Happy 2023 A.D. my fellow liberty-loving Americans. I'm your host Dr. Jake Jacobs. I gotta tell you, Uh, I have been studying throughout the years the Constitution of the United States of America. As a government teacher, American history teacher, I've made it a point to understand the rule book of our nation. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where many of our leaders, our politicians, Democrats and Republicans, don't have a clue what's in this book. If you go back to the founding of the country in uh, 1787, the development of our federal constitutional republic under God, and you deal with the debates by the uh, uh, Federalist and the Anti Federalist, you'll find that the common denominator by these great wise founding fathers was to create a government that was limited, a government that lived by the enumerated, specified rules that were, were that were within the rule book the constitution this is very important for us to understand if you just take a few minutes out and you study the ratification process of the bill of rights when we finally had it ratified in 1791 uh, uh, You'll find that this group that we call the Federalists, and then the other group that we call the Anti-Federalists, or they call themselves Republicans, they very much loved an idea of a constitutional republic under God that had a rule book that was abided by. The Federalists, generally speaking, wanted more central government. The Anti-Federalists, the Republicans, they didn't. They didn't. It's not that they didn't want a central government, but they were very fearful of central government, and so therefore they made sure that we had a bill of rights that in essence was a bunch of rules that said the government cannot do this, the government cannot do that. But here's the bottom line with both differences of opinions, you know, philosophical governmental opinions of a couple hundred plus years ago, is they really agreed the common denominator was that the government was to be limited. The government was to go by the rule book, the constitution. Now, I happen to myself put myself more in the category of the anti-federalists, the early Republicans, although I'm not an anti-federalist in the sense of I'm against the federalists. There were many brilliant federalists who had some great ideas about a government strong enough to protect us from government harm. But one of the key things that our founders discussed is that the the politicians— if there wasn't a checks and balances, if there wasn't a uh, desire to live within the rule of law by the Constitution, according to the Constitution, according to the original tent of the Constitution, then you would have government gone amok, government gone wild, with spending and printing and borrowing money that would needlessly create a burden upon the people of the United States of America. So bottom line, once again, is that our founders envisioned in our republic, a republic of law, the rule of law, of a rule book, the Constitution. I'm stressing this a lot in the beginning of the show because in 2023, We are living in a day and age, and we're seeing this unfold right now in the House of Representatives, but we're living in a day and age where there's lawlessness, lawlessness on the border. There's lawlessness within our cities. There's lawlessness within the halls of Congress where they no longer abide by the rule of law or even by the rules within the congressional hearings, congressional debates. I just got done reading a, a great article here over the Christmas holiday called uh, A President Who Warned Americans What Extravagant Federal Spending Would Do to Character. I think it's interesting because the author of this article, he uh, used to be the, the uh, president of FEE, Foundation for Economic Education, Lawrence Reed, absolutely brilliant mind. He, the last word he used in that article was character. He was not only talking about the character of our representatives in Congress, he was talking about the character of the people of the United States of America. Remember, supposedly Benjamin Franklin said this, when the people find that they can vote themselves money, that will, be herald, that will, be the, uh, that will herald the end of the republic. He, in essence, meant to say, by my botchering this quote, but forgive me, is that when the people realize... That in essence, by voting for representatives that can give them stuff, give them things, the redistribution of wealth that Peter will take from Paul, so in essence, they can enjoy the fruits of another man's labor, the fruits uh, uh, of another man's skills, the fruits of what another man does on the face of the earth. And therefore, this, this socialistic redistribution scheme would destroy our republic under God. And this is so important for us to understand because within that article, the aforementioned article I just mentioned, he focuses in on two presidents. The two presidents is one is Kelvin Coolidge. Why Coolidge matters. Remember, Coolidge was president of the United States in the 1920s. He was the vice president under Harding, Warren G. Harding. Warren G. Harding and and Vice President Coolidge inherited uh, profound debt. The progressive, the leftist, uh, uh, the Democrat, Woodrow Wilson, who gave us the federal income tax, the progressive income tax, the explosion of the administrative bureaucratic state, left them with huge debt. Of course, they promised to keep the marginal tax rate at 7%. It went up to 77%. They lied. What's new? Presidents, politicians lie to we the people all the time. And so what this author, Lawrence Reed, is telling us is that when Calvin Coolidge comes along, and by the way, when individuals like him come along, they get attacked as a fascist, as a neophyte, as an idiot, you know, who's heartless, etc. But Calvin Coolidge had a, a basic philosophy. He said, look, the, the people's money is the people's money. Yes, there's to be taxation to run the government, but we don't want excess taxation that will, in essence, hurt the American people, have a deleterious effect on the American people. His famous quote is the business of America's business. Let's put people to work. And so his secretary of treasury, the brilliant um, uh, the brilliant uh, Andrew Mellon. He wrote a book called uh, Taxation, The People's Business in 1924. He came along and said the progressive tax is way too high. We're hurting the American people. The government spends too much. So they lowered the marginal tax rate, and there was an economic boom, economic explosion, job expansions, innovative creativity within the marketplace. And the 1920s roared. Why do I bring that up? Because he understood that the federal government had certain limited powers and they were not to overspend. They were not to overtax. And so therefore he was trying to change that. Now in the aforementioned article that I mentioned, the president who warned Americans what extravagant federal spending would do to character. He puts a lot of emphasis on a Democratic president by the name of Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland, a man of iron. Listen to the words of Grover Cleveland about the people of the United States in government schemes. Under the scheme of government, the waste of public money is a crime against the citizen. I'm going to repeat it. Under the scheme of government, the waste of public money is a crime against the citizen. That doesn't sound like Democrats of 2023, most certainly doesn't. But this Grover Cleveland, who was the 22nd president and the 24th president, understood something. He understood the limited nature of the federal government, that it had certain, it had certain powers within Washington, D.C., enumerated, limited, and that the rest of the governing was to be done at the state level, at the local level, the county level, the township level, the city level, the village level, and the level of the home. That's the the initial governance, the most important governance. And for the most part, leave the American family, the American home alone. Tax them a little bit, provide for police and fire and roads, et cetera, but don't, don't in essence, create this uh, hyper-taxation in spending and printing that will cause inflation and harm the American people. And Grover Cleveland came around. And by the way, when he ran the second time, he lost to a Republican by the name of Benjamin Harrison, who, in essence, expanded the government and spent and taxed a whole bunch. And, and Grover Cleveland came along and said, I'm going to go run again. Because I think this is ridiculous what this Republican Benjamin Harrison is doing. And he ran again. And he lowered spending. And he lowered taxation. In fact, in 1901, after he was president, he was 22nd and the 24th president, he wrote an article, and it was called The Waste of Public Money. And in it, he talked about politicians in Washington wasting our hard-earned dollars. And he said, we need to go by the rule book, the Constitution, and abide by our federal system, where there is certain powers in Washington, D.C., but most power is at the state the state capitals, within the state legislatures, within the counties, within the cities, the townships, the villages, and most importantly, within the American home. A man's home is his castle. Leave me alone, government. I'll pay my basic share to run to run things, but for the most part, leave me alone. Now, we had a situation over Christmas, people, that just absolutely was grinding my grizzard, gizzard. Trying to keep this clean, right? Drining, grinding my gizzard. It was called the omnibus. Omnibus was a, an omnibus bill. Well, Here's the definition of omnibus. A relating to or providing for many things at once, containing or including many items. In previous programs, you heard me talk about sugar daddy socialism, Santa Claus socialism, Well, here it was right before Christmas, and all through the House, the House of Representatives, the Senate, all throughout the White House, were talks of spending, 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 printing, 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 borrowing, 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 to the tune of almost $2 trillion. And the omnibus bill was supposed to have been decided by September 30th, but they they broke the House rules, they broke the budget rules, they don't abide by rules, they don't abide by the rule book. The Constitution, they don't even abide by the rule books within the within Congress nowadays. Rand Paul very clearly pointed that out in October, November, December of twenty twenty two. They broke the rules. So the very cleverly, just like when there's an election and they always show, you know, Republicans throwing grandma off a cliff and he, she and Republicans are going to take Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. They did the same thing. You see, the Republicans, because they believe in a balanced budget, they believe in not spending too much money and borrowing too much money. Well, you know, uh, uh, they're going to, uh, in essence, shut down the government. And so the Democrats were demanding to raise the debt ceiling, were demanding to uh, spend more money. And so they gave us a 4,000-plus page omnibus bill full of all kinds of goodies, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of social engineering goodies. From Maine down to Florida, from Florida across to California, up to Washington, up to Montana and South Dakota, Wisconsin, Michigan, all over the place. Millions and billions and even up to two trillions of dollars of various spending. We're so used to the Democrats spending. When Biden came into office, spending two trillion here, two trillion there, and inflation hit us and hit us hard. But it's interesting. Today's headline was a Republican act of betrayal with the grotesque omnibus bill. Because there were far too many rhinos and sinos, Republicans in name only, conservatives in name only. They run for office and they talk the talk. Oh, I'm a conservative. I'm a fiscal conservative. I'm a Republican who understands balancing the budget and living within our means and not spending too much, not printing too much, not borrowing too much. And then they get in power. And what do they do? They continue to spend and borrow and print and endorse it and have an omnibus bill full of so many socialist goodies. It's enough to make you sick. Thus, Ron Johnson, our great senator in Wisconsin, called it grotesque. So I want you to hear Rand Paul. You could call him a Republican libertarian who understands the rule book, the Constitution, and understands the rules within the House and within the Senate in relationship to the budget, listen to what he has to say about the breaking of the law by not only Democrats, Republicans. Here goes.
1: There are many other points of order that can be raised on this. The budget rules are actually of some value if we would actually obey the rules. Some of the people You see them, you see them in their states, they're at campaign rallies, they'll tell you at town halls, they'll tell you on the Senate floor that we absolutely must get spending under control. They'll tell you that the debt is a problem, they'll tell you that it's a terrible way to run government to have omnibuses. It's terrible to put $6 trillion together in one bill, release it at 1.30 in the morning and pass it and you can read about it and find out what is in it later. I suspect you will find a lot of promises though that will be violated as we vote on these PAGO restrictions. Realize that this is the law. The law of the land says you can't do this. Congress in passing this omnibus omnibus is breaking the law. The statute says very clearly they cannot do this. The only way they actually can evade responsibility is they change the law. They say, oh, well, it'd be embarrassing to get rid of the law. We will waive the law. So we have laws for decades that could actually right our fiscal house and put us on a course towards balancing our budget, and the rules are waived. They disobey their own rules.
0: They disobey their own rules. They ignore the rule book, the Constitution the federal constitution of the United States of America, and they ignore the rules, the congressional rules. They play games with our money, thus creating inflation and putting a burden on, on the, the masses, the millions of American people just trying to make ends meet. Alexis de Tocqueville, wrote, he came to America a long, long time ago, back in the 1800s, like 18, circa 1830s. New York, Green Bay, Wisconsin, down to New Orleans, visited all over America. Wrote a book called Democracy in America. And he understood the Founding Fathers' viewpoint of a limited, constitutional limited government. But listen to what he said. The American public will endure until the day Congress discovers that it can bribe the public with the public's money. That it can bribe the public with the public's money. This is why the article I made reference to talked about character, the character of the American people. We understand the character of a corrupt executive by the name of Joe Biden, a former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and a corrupt Chuck Schumer. But what about the character of Republicans like Mitch McConnell and other Republicans who aren't about us, we the people, but are about self-aggrandizement, about power? about money for themselves and glory for themselves. It's interesting because Rand Paul goes on to say, he talks about, well, the conservatives that voted for this omnibus bill, they got their military stuff. Now I'm a big hawk, a big guy for military stuff, but there's a lot of abuse and waste in the military today. Eisenhower warned us about the military industrial complex and he made mention of the military industrial complex. I want the, our military to be numero uno, aware of what the communist Chinese and what Russia's up to and North Korea is up to. But there's a lot of waste. But he also talked about the welfare industrial complex, which in, is, in essence, the social engineering gone amok in this country. And you're gonna, when you hear some of the stuff in that omnibus bill, you're going to hear social engineering gone amok. So I want you to listen to, I think, the Winston Churchill... And I know I'm biased. He's a friend. He's been in this, this studio, in this building for Freedom Project Media. Uh, I've, I've had him in my classroom in Winnicott, in my classroom in Oshkosh. Uh, I've campaigned with him. I've introduced him at many events. Uh, but put all that bias and friendship aside, he, to me, is the Winston Churchill in Congress, in the Senate today. Winston Churchill saw the evil nature of national socialism in the 1930s, and they laughed at him, and they called him a fascist, and they called him evil spirited. And he was right all along. And then they turned to him for leadership in the midst of that horrible war with national socialism. And he understood the the evil nature of Soviet socialism, and Ron Johnson to me is the Winston Churchill in the American Senate, and I wish we had a hundred Ron Johnsons. And in the House, I wish we had four hundred and thirty-five Ron Johnsons or four hundred and thirty-five Jim Jordans. But listen to Ron Johnson talk about what's going on with the, what went on with the omnibus bill, and listen to what he says about state budgets. It's very important. Here goes
2: according to the national association of state budget officers a report they just issued states are sitting on a surplus cumulatively of over 250 billion dollars in addition to that they have rainy day funds approaching over 130 billion dollars that totals up about 380 billion dollars this omnibus uh, is going to spend somewhere around 1.7 trillion dollars and yet it's still not enough Here is the 625 pages of earmarks. Almost $10 billion worth of additional money going into the states when they're sitting on close to $400 billion of surpluses. This is grotesque. Earmarks are the gateway drug to the mortgage of our children's future. This abuse must stop. My amendment simply eliminates all the earmarks from this grotesque omnibus bill i ask my colleagues to support the elimination of all the earmarks in this bill
0: god i love ron johnson i pray for him and i'm so glad he got re-elected i am so glad we need him now more than ever we need you now more than ever but we need men and women who are strong leaders like ron johnson and many others but did you hear what he said he said this is very interesting he understands a federal constitutional republic a federal government that's to be limited, not spend more than it has, right? That where the states have the the, most of the power lies within the state, within the county, within the city, within the village, within the township, within the home. That's the beauty of our republic under God. And he brings up this 625-page earmarking full of pork, full of sugar daddy socialist crap. And even he says it's the gateway drug for our our children's future. It's like these politicians, this spending, this ridiculous spending is the, you know, Marx talked about Christianity being the opioid, the drug uh, of, you know, of families, that evil man. Well, spending and printing and borrowing for these politicians, it's their opioid of today. And it must be stopped. When Ron Johnson ran in 2010, when I met him in 2010, when I heard him speak down to Madison, he said, we have a serious problem. That was 12 years ago with the spending, with the unconstitutional spending and laws and bureaucracy that's going on in Washington. And so here was a brilliant businessman who ran and won. And the headline of the Oshkosh Northwestern said, stop spending. I have that newspaper somewhere. I've got to find it, bring it in sometime for a future show. And it's 12 years later, and you think they stopped spending? Huh. Are you kidding me? These guys have gone to the roof under George W. Bush. It was like $5, 6000000000000 trillion. We're heading towards $32 trillion, my fellow Americans. That's why Ron Johnson was speaking forth and Rand Paul was speaking forth the idiocy, the insanity of the Omnibus Bill. And right now as you're watching this show, listening to this show, they're debating in the House of Representatives who's going to be the one that's going to represent the House. It's gone over vote after vote after vote. And conservatives, authentic true conservatives, not Sinos, conservatives in name only, guess what they've been called? Oh, they've been called uh, traitorous. They've been called fascists. They've been called kamikaze tactics. Hardcore right-wingers. Oh, terrorists. They've even been called terrorists by by fellow Republicans. I'm not making this stuff up, people. It's disgusting what they're doing to those men and women in Congress who believe in the rule of law, who believe in our Constitution. To them, the Constitution be damned. They don't give a rat's patootie about the Constitution anymore. And this is something, the brilliance of our founders, when you read the Federalist Papers and you read the Anti-Federalist Papers and they get into the world of of government and they get into the world of corrupt kings and queens, the the tyrannical, despotic movements of these governments of years gone by, they talk about how they use taxation and spending for wild living, and for wars. And then they created this republic that was going to limit the tyrannical nature of government. And here we are 200 and some years later in the greatest republic known to mankind, and we've got this corruption, the tyrannical despotic corruption in Washington, D.C., and men like Rand Paul and Ron Johnson and others are standing up and saying, Enough already. And there were 20 conservative Republicans standing up and saying, we want a speaker who is going to stick to the rule book. And we want, we want the ability to be able to be on committees and to be able to stop the spending and the borrowing and the printing of money that we don't have. We want to stop inflation and stop the war on, on American energy, American fuel. We want to stop the democratic, mobocratic madness that's going on in America, and what are they called? They're attacked, in fact, who's the gentleman? i see if I can find his name, yeah. So one of the men that they wanted to be Speaker of the House, his name is Byron Donalds, from Florida, I forget what district. He's a black American, the only reason I bring that up, the only reason it's relevant, is one of the Socialist Squad, her name is Cori Bush from Missouri, you know, she hangs out with the Socialist Squad, Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar Rashid Talib. Right? She says, oh, I see what he's doing. This is Byron Donald. He's not a real black. He's not a real African-American. I I, I don't like the term African-American. They're not from Africa. They're from America. The color of their skin is black. Anyways, the point is this. She says he supports white supremacy because he's pro-life, because he's a Christian, because he believes in balancing the budget, because he believes in the rule book, the constitution. He's called supporting white supremacy. That's what Democrats do today. You want to stand up for what is right and have character and virtue, and they attack you and malign you and call you a fascist, a Nazi, a white supremacist. That's a bunch of balderdash, poppycock. Bullroar. i got to keep it clean. You know what I'm saying here? Just unbelievable. Listen to Congressman Chip Roy. Uh, from the 21st District down in Texas. Now, we could go on. This is a short, only half an hour show. We could go on for hours and hours with all the insane sugar daddy socialism within that omnibus bill. bill. Listen for one minute what he lists off that's within that omnibus bill. Here goes.
3: We are paying for... $500,000 to the Long Island Gay and Lesbian Youth Incorporated, $113,000 to the LGBT Center of Greater Reading, Pennsylvania, $1.5 million for the Loft LGBTQ Community Center New Home Project in New York, which I got excoriated as somehow being hateful for tweeting that out earlier by one of my colleagues. Now, hold on a second. So I'm hateful? For raising whether or not we should have $1.5 million set aside for a loft community center in New York that is then divvied up by both age and sexual identity or preference. Okay, I'm the bad guy for thinking that maybe taxpayers are thinking, why are we doing that? $750,000 for a New York-based In Our Own Voices, Inc., which aims to strengthen the voices of LGBT people of color and increase their capacity for combating oppression and marginalization. $250,000 to support Wisconsin's first-in-the-nation gay rights law book and archive. How about the climate agenda? $1.3 million for workforce development activities at a climate change education center in the Los Angeles Community College District. $3 million for Clean Energy Workforce Development at the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. $200,000 for the Rhode Island AFL-CIO's Climate Jobs Workforce Training Initiative. $875,000 for Green Energy On Demand at Clarkson University. $400,000 for the placement of at-risk young adults into the green jobs industry. $2 million for Community Driven Air Quality Environmental Justice Assessment at the University of Illinois. $2 $2 million for a climate change impact on water initiative at Texas State University. I represent Texas State University, and that's garbage. Why are we doing this?
0: Why are we doing this? Look, I know I get emotional about this stuff, but it, gets, it exasperates me. When I see what is being allowed to go on in the District of Columbia... When I see the perversion of the Constitution of the United States of America and what authentic Republicanism is, what authentic fiscal conservatism is, classic liberalism is, when I see those 18 turncoat Republicans, I'm not going to list all 18, but I want you to see six of them. Look at this here, Susan Collins, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, uh, Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton, of all people. Mitch, I'm not surprised, the rest of them. And then in the House, we've got the same thing. Here's the point, people. Here's the point. You and I need to be engaged. We need to, to, to be active. We need to be participating, calling our congressmen, writing them letters, getting, uh, participating in town hall meetings. Those things that he just listed off, and it was just a small bit of what they had, People, if you're going to do those things through the democratic processes, then you do it in the state, in the capital, in the city, in the town hall, in the village. Local participation. Not a bunch of administrative bureaucrats and corrupt politicians in Washington, D.C., who are spending our money and creating a burden upon us through inflation, etc., etc. I'm going to close with the words of Brutus from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. His speech to Cassius in Act Four, Scene Three, there is a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune, omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea, we are now afloat. My fellow liberty-loving Americans, On such a full sea, we are now afloat. What side of the tide will you be on? The tide of life and liberty and limited government or the tide of this monstrosity in Washington, D.C. that is destroying life and liberty in the land? So I love you guys. Let's make 2023 a great year and stop this monstrosity in Washington, D.C. So until we meet again, Remember that one nation is dedicated to fighting for liberty and justice for all.